Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd Seminary. This podcast is dedicated to discussing issues related to scripture and theology. For more information, visit petergaiman.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. I think it's been a while since I've recorded again, but of course, given last episode, you understand my dilemma with all of the new children running around. Well, metaphorically, I suppose you could say. And so we're here again, though, and really excited to have an episode on abortion and the biblical view of this. And we're going to take a little bit of a different twist today, not talk about it exhaustively per se, but just kind of address a few key issues scripturally, I think, that maybe are even neglected or maybe not even known about. And obviously the reason why we're going to be talking about this is because in current issues, abortion is paramount. I mean, we see even over the last couple of weeks, just such news coverage given to what happened in New York and the Virginia governor. And if you're not aware of what happened with that, we had New York passing a law legalizing abortion up to 40 weeks. So babies that are that are that have come full term, they can now be killed uh, in New York. And just as far as a comparison, uh, my sons were born at 35 and 36 weeks comparatively. So they, according to New York law, could have been put to death uh, in at that time, right before minutes before they were born. And that's just reprehensible. I mean, I was talking to my wife when our first son was born a couple of years ago, and I just remember talking to her and saying, I don't understand how anybody could have have a kid, just see how, just how they are fully functioning, fully viable at such a young age, and support abortion. Even our neighbor, I was talking to our neighbor the other day, and he said that his, uh, his grandson was born at 24 weeks, at 24 weeks, and now he's five years old, and he said, you know, he's living a normal life, it's it's all it's all good and just to think about how from a pagan godless worldview it really is sin making us stupid because it really comes down to just believing there's something magical about when the baby uh, is inside the womb versus when the baby is outside the womb and even that uh, line is being dissected now and that that came with the recent comments by the Virginia governor who got a lot of an appropriate pushback uh, for his statements talking about how a baby could be born and then while the baby was there the doctors and the mothers could could talk about whether or not they wanted to let the baby die and so really that's just uh, murdering murdering a kid I mean, there's, I don't understand how you could even make a distinction there, but that just shows the, the full blown development, how once you just sacrifice all of this rational thinking on the altar of sexual pleasure and uh, wanting to control uh, your own life and, and kill in order to do that, well, then you get to these just horrible, horrendous, horrendous conclusions. And so it's, it is really sad 
And, you know, we need to be praying for our government leaders and praying just that God would bring revival and protect the innocent because it's just super sad. And, and I know having children has made me recognize this to a whole new degree, how terrible it even really is. So be in prayer about that. So when we think about abortion biblically, one individual forwarded me a meme which I thought would be helpful to talk about today, and then we're going to talk about another passage as well. And the meme is based on Numbers 5, 11 through 31, where you have the test of marital infidelity. And I'm just going to read part of the meme here. It says, it's, it's basically an anti-Christian meme, and it says, quote, your God not only sanctions abortion, but writes it into Jewish law. And the quote goes on saying in Numbers 5, 11 through 31, your God, the God of Israel says, if you are a jealous husband, this is your law. You will bring your wife to God's temple where the priest will administer a solution that will cause your wife to abort her pregnancy if she is. And then so in, in a side comment, the meme says, so you pathetic hypocrites need to read your own Bibles. And then it uh, goes on there, makes a couple of statements. What in the world? Does Numbers 5 talk about a abortion where there's going to be a termination of pregnancy? Well, it's interesting because when I was forwarded this meme, I read it and I was thinking, I do not remember ever reading that. So I did some research, looked at some various Bible translations, and it's actually really hard to find, but I did find one that does seem to communicate that. And that's the new NIV uh, in the 2011 version. You have this uh, in verse 22, Numbers 5 says, May this water that brings a curse enter your body so that your abdomen swells and your womb miscarries. So it's interesting there. The NIV seems to be painting the picture that this woman who has been unfaithful is the implication would suffer a miscarriage. And it seems to be an intentional one because she, she was uh, unfaithful. And so this whole process, which if you read it, is pretty elaborate. And maybe someday we'll go into the full details of it. But the whole the major point of Numbers 5 is that God has to miraculously determine, because there's no evidence whatsoever, whether uh, this woman was unfaithful or not to her husband. And so they are completely being submissive to God's ruling and God's going to miraculously intervene if it's necessary in, in this regard. So when we read this translation then, first of all, I would like to compare it to some other translations. So this is the KJV. Uh, I'll just read the last part of the verse uh, in verse 2022. 20, so the last part of it says, uh, Causeth the curse to go into thy bowels to make thy belly swell and thy thigh to rot. Okay, so there you have belly to swell and thigh to rot. That's a little different than what the NIV was translating it as uh, enter your body so that your abdomen swells and your womb miscarries. So, okay, how, how does that work? Okay, well, we have the NASB uh, from 1995. The water goes into the stomach, makes your abdomen swell, and your thigh waste away. Okay. And then ESV has the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. Uh, Holman Christian has causing your belly to swell, your thigh to shrivel. 
Net Bible has make your abdomen swell and your thigh rot. So we'll stop there for for now. You you get the point. It's a it's a kind of interesting translation issue, and the NIV really kind of goes out on a limb there in translating it that way. Now, if you just look at the Hebrew, it it's the whole issue is this word latzbot, which is unique and only occurs here. And we do have an Arabic and Akkadian parallel, and there have been a couple ideas about what what the meanings in other languages can contribute. Because oftentimes what what ends up happening is if you only have a word that's used once in the Hebrew Bible, well, you look at how that word is used in other languages, which are similar. They're called uh, semantic languages, the same kinds of languages, similar to how if you didn't know what a Spanish word meant, you might be able to find kind of the meaning in Latin since Latin is based or Spanish is based on Latin, similar concept. So in, in the Akkadian language, you could have uh, a similar word, which has the idea of flooding something. So flooding it with water or something like that. So some scholars have hypothesized that this would mean the, the womb swells or swells with water floods with water and so it becomes unusable is the idea unusable and uh, in the arabic you have a similar word which means to grow or to sprout which again could communicate the idea of we're swelling up or growing or something like that so when we think about that there's really nothing that would indicate that you have a miscarriage taking place here and in fact the whole idea of your womb miscarrying, uh, the, the actual Hebrew word is thigh, as you heard in many of the translations at the, at the end of the, that clause there in verse 22. And so you, you have to take two steps. First of all, you have to say that the word for thigh is being used idiomatically for the reproductive organs. So that's it's possible because Hebrew does that sometimes. So you have to take that first step. And then the second step is you have to say, okay, and when it says that your thigh is going to fall or be destroyed or drop, that has to communicate the idea of miscarriage then. But really, that's not what it says. It just says that your thigh is going to drop. That's the idea. And so some of the translations that we referenced uh, said that make your thigh fall away, your thigh shrivel. The idea is what does it mean for your thigh to drop? And so the NIV says that that means a miscarriage, but, but really there's no discussion of children or pregnancy or anything in the context. It, it probably either, if it does refer to reproductive organs, it probably refers to some sort of barrenness that's going to, like the Lord is intervening now and this woman is going to be barren because of her unfaithfulness and that's going to be her curse because she has broken faith in the covenant of God. So she's going to be barren. Or it could just talk about um, physical, actual physical punishment in the sense that, you know, maybe her thigh and, and, uh, her core of her being is just like going to start fading away. She's going to suffer physically for that. You know, e- either way, uh, there's really no way that you can insinuate that there is a pregnancy here. It's never mentioned anywhere, and that it's going to, it's going to end 
end the pregnancy, which isn't even mentioned there. So it is an interpretive issue. And I think, though, when we just think about it from a straightforward way, the whole point of Numbers 5 is talking about marital unfaithfulness and God taking the appropriate punishment for that. In other words, because there's no evidence, man is incapable of judging. And so we have to turn to the Lord and let him have the appropriate judgment. So adulterers and adulteresses were put to death according to Old Testament law, but but not here. And the reason for that seems to be because there is no evidence for that. And a human humans are unable to judge in, in this regard. And so they rely on the Lord to affect the justice in, in regard to this. So I think that's the appropriate way to read Numbers 5. And of course, you know, you, you, you give that as the understanding of Numbers 5, but an unbeliever is not going to care. They, they, for crying out loud, they're using meme theology. So not really interested in knowing the truth, I'm sure. But I think it's helpful for us to know that really there, there's not a discussion of pregnancy or abortion going on in Numbers 5, even though that may be brought up at times. So I think that that's fairly clear. And the other thing I wanted to talk about is Exodus 21. In Exodus 21, we have a passage that I've not heard used too often, although I think uh, more and more people are using it with the issue of abortion. But we see in Exodus 21, in verse 22, a law that deals with men who are hit, who are fighting together and they hit a pregnant woman. So I'm reading from the ESV here, and verse 22 says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But, this is the next, uh, so that's one, one sequence in verse 22. It says that if a pregnant woman gets hit and her child comes out, but there's no harm done, then the person needs to be fined who did that, and that fine is determined by the husband and the judges. But here's the, here's the next sequence, the possibility. What if there is harm? So in verse 23, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. That's called the lex talionis in Old Testament law, and it's it ensures twofold. One, that appropriate punishment is going to be meted out, but then two, that that there's no leniency. In other words, there needs to be appropriate punishment and that there's no unjust compassion in the law. And, and I'm not saying compassion is a bad thing, but, you know, there's there's no place in the law, there's no place in justice for a judge to say, oh, you're my friend, uh, you know, I'm not going to make... I'm not going to give you a harsh penalty. No, there is a penalty that needs to be meted out, that needs to be given out. And this is an example of that where you have caused harm and whether that be disfigurement, whether that be death, the idea is that in in like kind judgment needs to be given out to what was what what happened. And so what we see here is the very simple principle I think that scripture is clear that the unborn child at the at the point of the contact the conflict is treated as an individual and so there if there is no harm there's still a penalty because of the harm done to the woman and because of the inconvenience and the danger that's involved with that but then if there is harm 
then there needs to be appropriate punishment given there. And you have to you have to assume, based on the Lex Talionis idea, that this includes the fullness of, of the law. If if you if you kill somebody, you know that that needs to be treated as manslaughter under Old Testament law. Or uh, if it was some sort of malicious act, then it needs to be treated as murder. Now, when you think about that and how how this plays out as far as when we're thinking through the whole idea of abortion and all that. Well, it doesn't seem like there's some magical time when the child is is viewed as a human versus, you know, just some inanimate object fetus in the womb. No, it it seems right off in Old Testament law in Exodus 21 here that we have this firm principle that the children are viewed right away as being important. One thing that's interesting is that historically the United States has recognized this and we have extra laws in place to protect pregnant women. We have what's referred to as state fetal homicide laws. And I was just doing some research online and found that there are, according to what I found, 38 states that have fetal homicide laws. And some of them are very explicit, defining uh, a, a person or defining a fetus, a unborn child, as a person for the purpose of homicide or assault laws. And I think that that has a biblical precedent, as we just read in Exodus 21. And so a lot of these states, 38 of them, as uh, the research indicates, you have this understanding that a unborn child should be treated as a person, especially in regard to violent crimes. And so when we think about this concept of abortion and just how people argue from it, there's, from a biblical standpoint, from a Christian standpoint, there's really no way to support abortion. We need to be careful because, A, I don't think we should expect unbelievers to act like believers. I think unbelievers are going to try to support things that make them happy. So really what abortion ends up being for a lot of people is that they just want to, this and this sounds harsh, but it's the, it's the reality is they want to take someone else's life in order to convenience themselves, whether that be, they don't want to raise a child at that time, uh, whether they just want more sexual freedom, you know, that's, that's ultimately what abortion ends up being for, for the majority of people. But when we think about what the Bible has to say about this, I think we can also think about this from a logical standpoint. And there was a recent article uh, written on the Gospel Coalition website uh, saying, uh, I think it was something like the discussion of the abortion issue in 250 words or less. And in essence, what that argument was, and it's a completely sound argument, is that every human being is born in made in the image of God, and to kill somebody is wrong. So if you think about how that works together, because killing somebody is wrong because they're made in the image of God, and because babies are made in the image of God, well, then it's wrong to kill babies. I mean, if you think about it, that's that's the core of Christian theology. All the way from Genesis 1, God creates man in his image. That's something special that animals do not have. And of course, you know, it is rather sad that we live in a society that mourns the killing of animals more than the killing of children. That's just a, a blight upon our society and what a, what a sad travesty that is. But we have this, this society which, which 
just ignores children, but that they lift up animals. Yeah. But in addition to the unique and privileged status of humanity, we have God's explicit condemnation in Genesis 9 of of taking the life of human beings because of that privileged status in Genesis 9. When you start to trace the dots of the value of humanity based on their their bearing the image of God, then you really have no excuse for how you would murder an unborn child. And I think it's important to just stick to the basics when it comes down to that. We firmly believe God has created every individual. We firmly believe that every individual is is made in the image of God. And because of that, we want to protect every single individual. And of course, you know, the common argument always comes out. Well, what about, you know, the 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 woman who her life is threatened if she if she gives birth or something like that? Well, you know, in those situations, uh, and I have actually read about people in those situations who that's what the doctors told them and they went ahead and you know what? The birth went fine. The child and the mother were great. With regard to that, I know that's a, that's another issue that we could talk about at, at another time. But all I wanted to talk about today was the current issues surrounding abortion. Hopefully try to shed some light on Numbers 5 and hopefully shed some light on Exodus 21, which is, I think, important to have in the back of your mind for this whole discussion of the, of the scriptures treating children who are in the womb of their mother as having rights and belonging to the legal category of personhood. So I hope that's helpful. If you have any feedback or follow-ups on that, feel free to reach out to me. You can email me at peter at petergaming.com. If you want more information about me, my blog, or anything like that, you can visit my site, petergaming.com. If you want more information about the seminary where I teach, shepherds.edu is the website. So hope this was helpful, and until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. 